In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You're going for a trip into Mirkwood Forest. Now, some of you may or may not know what Mirkwood Forest is, but what is something to be afraid of in Mirkwood Forest? Mirk. Spiders of unusual size. You've heard of rodents of unusual size. Spiders of very unusual size. So you're going on your trip, and you've got your coat on, this brand new nice coat, because it's very foggy and misty, and you want to stay warm, so you put this coat on. But as you're walking to Mirkwood Forest, you are the ignorant person that did not know that there were huge spiders in Mirkwood Forest. And so as you go in, you get tangled in one of the webs. And spider is coming to wrap you up in its web so he can then drink your life out of you. (laughs) He's coming. You're sitting there dangling in the webs. What do you do? Well, you could sit there and go, my beautiful coat, it's going to be ruined. Or you can say, thank you, coat, for saving me. Unzip, drop down, and run. None of us would hesitate, would we? The coat is worth sacrificing for our lives, for our liberation. And so we run off and we are free. Um, This illustrates something that's pretty basic in all liberation is that liberation requires a cost. It requires the sacrifice of something. So um, if you want to be liberated from your parents' house, it requires the sacrifice of uh, a lot of cheap rent. Um, If you want to be liberated from an addiction, uh, it requires the sacrifice of your pleasures and of that very thing itself. Um, you want to be liberated from an abusive relationship, an abusive marriage, it requires the sacrifice of your marriage. Something has to be sacrificed if liberation is to be uh, entered into. Um, now, I want you to imagine, though, what would happen as you get out of Mirkwood Forest and say, oh, I'm never going in there again. I'm so thankful to be saved. Um, would, you, would you remember your coat? Yeah, for a little, for a while. I would say, oh, I miss that coat. But down the road, I'm not going to start remembering the coat in my dreams and in my prayers, giving thanks to that coat. And I'm not going to, I'm sure not going to have a meal to commemorate my memory of that coat. Why? It's just a coat. It's not alive. It's dead. It never was alive. And it is still not alive. But here's what happens is that Christ is like that coat for us. He was sacrificed to liberate us from sin and death. And yet we do remember him. Not only by recalling him, but we actually gather in memory of what he did. We eat a meal in memory of what he did. Because he is alive. This is why we do this regularly. Is because we say, wow, I remember that I was rescued from the web. I was rescued from the spider because Christ gave himself so that I could run free. And so we, we do celebrate this because he's living. That's a huge difference. Um, 
So we're going to, um, as, I've, as we said before, uh, we'll get back to Matthew soon, but we are, because we just came out of the Christian Passover, Easter, um, we are looking at why we celebrate communion on a weekly basis. Why is this something Christ commanded us to do? So this is number two of four messages. If you missed the first one, you can always hear that on the podcast or on Facebook. Um, what we're concerned with is not the nature of the bread and the cup. We're not asking what happens to its material, physical properties. We're looking at why we were asked to eat this meal and to treat it as something more than just a snack, which is a terrible way to even think about it. But we have to clarify that it's something more than that. So um, last week we looked at eating it through the Bible that... Um, Eating was a way of participating in fellowship with God. And we looked at different examples of that. Uh, so now we're going to extend this and say that um, communion is a participation, not just in God, but it's also a participation in what he did for us. Communion is a participation in the new exodus. That means... There was an exodus that Israel celebrated, and there's a new exodus, and we eat to celebrate not that exodus, but this new exodus. So that's what we will look at. Um, let's read Luke 21, verse 14, I'm sorry, 22, verse 14 first, and then we will bounce to Exodus 12. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this, this Passover meal with you before I suffer. So we know it's Passover. They're eating the Passover meal. But this meal is going to go a little bit differently than they are used to doing it. Because what Jesus is going to do is he's actually instituting a new Passover meal because this is a new exodus. We're being rescued from a new foe. Not a new foe, but it's a new deliverance from a very old foe sin and death. Um, so he says in verse 16, for I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, not the cup. He took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on this table. And he goes on and tells them that someone's going to betray him, which is not relevant to our purposes tonight. So, the new exodus, the new Passover feast is happening right there. It's like the old Passover, but it's different because there's a new Passover, a new liberation, and a new sacrifice that must be made. So, in order to understand what Jesus is doing here, 
Uh, and, and remember, our journey is to try to better understand the biblical basis of communion. We need to then go back to the roots of what Jesus is talking about. We need to go to Exodus 12, which is where we see the very first Passover meal. Exodus chapter 12. Um, and I forgot to get this prepared. There we go. Ta-da! <laughs> so Israel is in Egypt. It's not good. They are slaves to the Egyptians. They need liberation. They are not just in the spider web, but they are wrapped up, and Pharaoh is sucking them, right? So um, they need liberation. So God tells them that it's going to happen. The angel of death is going to come over the land, and there is a way to be saved from this angel of death. So death is coming. How do you escape the death? This is how. It's called the Passover meal, which God gives them on this evening. So in Exodus 12, um, we're going to go over the five, uh, basically what the, the liturgy of the Passover. There are five parts, things, five parts to this celebration that God asked them to do. All right. So the first is in verses one through five. And actually, can I have somebody read that for us? Nice and loud. Exodus 12, 1 through 5. Nice and loud. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take... To them, every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the soul. Of the soul. Every man according to his eating shall you make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. You said five? Yeah. So um, there we see that they are called to choose a lamb, a male lamb without blemish. And they're to choose it on the 10th day, and they're to slaughter it, I think we'll see in verse 6 here, uh, on the 14th day. Interestingly, if you count backward from Jesus celebrating this Passover with his disciples, he appears in Jerusalem about four days ago. So he presents himself as the lamb. He's chosen as he comes into Jerusalem. And now uh, he's going to be slaughtered very soon. So first, they must choose a lamb. Second, we read in verse 6. The second part of the liturgy is that now you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. And when the whole assembly of the congregation of, the, of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So after they choose the lamb, they must kill the lamb. Okay, then third, we read in verse seven. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat it. So they choose the lamb, they kill the lamb, which means there's blood. Now, there's absolutely no description 
on how the lamb is to be killed. There's no, God says, this is the way to kill the lamb. It must be this way. All that God is interested in is that the lamb gives them blood. So the method of killing the lamb is not described. All that's described is the application of the aftermath of killing the lamb, the blood itself. So you put it on the doorposts, and then you put it on the lentil. So usually what you would do if you're trying to get blood out of an animal is you would uh, try to make this super, like, clean. Uh, They just cut them in the neck so that it flows very cleanly, and you can catch it in basins. And then they would use a hyssop branch. A hyssop branch was very absorbent, and they would dip it in the bowl and then put it on the lentil and then on the doorposts. And some have pointed out that this would obviously make the sign of the cross as you're applying this. Um, so they apply the blood. You also notice in verse 13, uh, it talks a little bit more about the blood if you jump down. Um, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So the blood is what makes it evident that the people of Israel are going to keep God's Passover. The blood is the sign for all. We are keeping the Passover. So we will be rescued. So um, that's that's the sign. Everybody could see it. It was a display. Then fourth part of the Passover liturgy is in verse 8. Now I want you to notice um, the fourth part is that they must eat the lamb. They must eat it. And this is mentioned a lot of times. Five. What's the third? (laughs) Thank you. Talking and writing is a curse. (laughs) The blood must be applied, and then they, fourth, they eat. (laughs) So part four of the liturgy is that they eat the lamb. Um, So in verse eight, and notice the emphasis on the eating. It's very clear that this must be eaten. If they just kill the lamb and have the blood, they haven't completed the Passover. They have to eat the lamb. So in verse eight, uh, they shall eat the flesh at midnight, roasted on the fire. Notice it's roasted over a fire, which means you need spits in order to hold the animal above the fire. We'll get to that later though. So it must be roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head and its legs and its inner parts. And you shall not let it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it when with your belt fasted and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. You you got the emphasis? You shall eat the lamb. You shall eat the lamb. You shall eat it at night. You shall not leave any of it till morning. You shall eat it in haste. Over and over we're told that this is the central part of the Passover liturgies that they must eat the lamb. And then finally, um, they are to keep the Passover. They are to repeat it. Over and over and over. Every year, they are to replay the Passover. So that's in verse 14. Um, This day shall be for you a memorial day. We know that Jesus told us to eat in remembrance, or the Greek is literally as a memorial unto him. So this day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. 
you shall keep it as a feast. Okay. Again, not saying eating this time, but saying that this will be a feast. How are you to celebrate Passover? With joy and with eating. It's a feast. So that's what we see in the original Passover from Egypt. Now, as we move on in time, Israel begins to develop some, um, uh, they uh, expand, they expand Passover a little bit with some extra elements in their liturgy, okay? So all of these things remain except by the time of Jesus in the first century, um, no one is killing the lamb in their homes anymore because now there's a priesthood. And so they must, God tells them that they must take the lamb to the temple and the priests kill the temple and the priests um, prepare the lamb to be eaten. So one of the changes is that they no longer, the man of the house is no longer killing the lamb. The priests are. Um, the blood is no longer being put on your doorpost. It's being put on the altar in the temple. Uh, they just take it and they throw it on the altar. Uh, but it is still being eaten and it's being kept every year. So these are the important elements. Is that they're still eating this. So this is the one thing that has been unchanged in their tradition. Um, but there's a couple other things that they add. First is uh, how they roast the animal. We don't know how they did it in Exodus 12, but we know from Jewish commentaries how they were doing it during the time of Jesus. They would, after they would sacrifice the animal, they would then insert the rods, the spits for roasting the animal. They would um, take two and one they would put across its back, across its shoulders. And then the other, uh, in the words of one very polite older writer says, from the bottom parts up through the mouth. So you would put the spit in a cross-like shape in order to roast the lamb over the fire. So quite literally, the lamb is being crucified as it's being roasted. And this was so evident. This isn't just like us reading through like manuscripts saying, oh, we created a crucifixion scene here. Uh, actually, Justin Martyr, who's from the second, yeah, second century uh, church in Rome, he literally says that the Jews had been crucifying the lamb before Christ because he mentions that they used the rods in the manner of a crucifixion. So the church recognized this from its beginning, that this was part of the custom. So the lamb was crucified. Um, then um, another change is that they began to see the Passover meal as anticipation. And that means, anticipation means that they weren't just eating the meal anymore to look back at Egypt. They weren't just looking back here. They were also looking ahead and recognizing that there is going to be a new exodus. Most Jews anticipated that a new Moses would come. Moses said this in Deuteronomy 18, that another prophet like me will come and save you. A new Moses will come. He will lead a new exodus. And the writings of the Jews were all saying, we expect him to come on Passover to deliver us. So every Passover meal was an anticipation of this could be the new Passover. This could be the new deliverance. So we see what Jesus is doing. He's intentionally using Passover and saying, this is the new one. It's here. Um, also, what they began to do in addition to anticipation is that they saw the meal as a participation. 
So you guys probably know this. If you've ever done a Seder meal, um, uh, been or seen one or heard what they do today, by the way, just a little side note, the modern day Seder meal is not a Passover meal. Do you know why? Why can it not be a Passover meal? There's no sacrifice. There's no sacrifice. There's no temple to sacrifice the lamb in. So they're just keeping the meal portion, but it's not sacrificed. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, so you'll hear um, what they started doing at the time of Jesus was part of the liturgy was at one moment during the meal, um, is actually during the second cup, they had four cups of wine. And during the second cup, they would have the, uh, a child would say, Father, why is this night not like the other nights? And then the father would tell the story from Abraham to Moses. And they would tell this story with personal pronouns. I was a slave in Egypt and God delivered me. He delivered us. There was, they saw that when they kept the Passover every year, that they were actually through the meal participating in what happened in the past. That as we eat the meal, this is a vehicle for us being part of the people then. So God did deliver us because we shared the same meal that happened then at the beginning. Okay? And so um, Jesus, um, when he tells us to eat this in remembrance of him, every time we keep the new Passover we, at, through communion, we are actually participating in that first sacrifice of Christ. And we had read that last week, that Paul talks about the eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup as a participation in the body and the blood of Christ. We are put there on the cross with him when we eat the bread and drink the cup. That's how the Jews saw Passover, and Jesus is using Passover and reinterpreting it as himself. So the last thing that they did, uh, and this is very important to see Part, it goes with the participation, is that they had four cups. Now, I'm just going to run through these. If you want to hear these later, we can. But um, the first cup was the cup of sanctification. It was basically the blessing. It was um, they gather together, they mix the first cup of wine with water, and then the food's put on the table and they eat their bitter herbs. Uh, so it's just kind of like the, it's like, if you will, as we gather, that was the first cup. Uh, the second cup was when, it's called the cup of proclamation. And this was when things got serious. It was when the second cup was brought forth and mixed with water that then the son asked father, why is this night not like the other nights? So this, that's why it's called the cup of proclamation because during the second cup, they told the story of their people. Now you notice in Luke's account that there was a cup before the cup. Yeah. Remember I pointed that out? This first cup that we saw, I'm not in Luke at the moment. Um, yeah, the A cup in verse 17, this would be the cup of proclamation. So it's the second cup. What you would expect to happen is Jesus to tell the story of our deliverance from Egypt. But he doesn't do that, does he? He proclaims a different story. And so then he goes into, during the second cup, um, they would then go... Um, he starts talking about, um, where am I? Uh, the cup proclamation. Uh, when he taken the cup, he said, take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So he, he emphasizes to them that this is a different, this is a different meal. This is about the kingdom of God. And then, so after that second cup, you would then go into eating the meal itself proper. So you would eat the flesh of the lamb and you would eat the unleavened bread. 
But what Christ does is rather than explaining the Passover event through the bread, the father would usually say, and the, the bread is unleavened because we had to leave in haste and the lamb was roasted uh, because he's, the, blood, the blood of the lamb saved us from the angel death and uh, the bitter herbs to make us remember our bitterness and slavery. All these things we explained. But what does Jesus do after the second cup? He takes the bread and says, this is my body. He doesn't talk about the lamb of Passover. It's strangely missing. He's saying this bread is my body and this cup is my blood. Now the lamb, the flesh of the lamb, they actually called in his time, they called it the body. They would say they would eat the body of the lamb. Um, What Jesus is doing is he's, this is officially the new Passover. We're not talking about that lamb anymore. When he said, this is my body and this is my blood, he's saying, I am the Passover lamb. And so you guys will be eating me instead of the lamb that you chose, like the old Exodus. I am the new lamb. That's why he says, this is my body and this is my blood. So then that cup, that cup he says that is his blood, uh, that would be the third cup of their, the third cup of their uh, liturgy. Um, it was the cup that you drank to conclude the meal. The meal was done when that cup was drank. The eating part was done. Then there was one last part, um, and they would start to sing psalms. The psalms that they would sing are called the Hallel Psalms. They're actually the psalms that we have been reciting after Easter. We're going one after another. So we did last week 113. Tonight we did Oh, you were paying attention. 114. See, it's good to pay attention. These are intentional. Uh, next week will be 115. And the week after, 116. We've been incorporating 117 at the end of each psalm. Oh, praise the Lord, all you nations. Acclaim him, all you peoples, for his mercy has prevailed over us. His faithfulness endures forever. Um, that's 117. And then it would conclude. The very last one they would sing is 118. Um, and that we will do at the last Sunday before Pentecost. Um, these are the psalms they'd sing. So you see in Matthew, Mark, after they finished the meal, it says that they sang a psalm. So that's what they would have been singing. And it was after the singing of the psalms that they would drink the fourth and final cup. But here's why we're looking at this. It's not just information. Uh, there's an important point here. Is that we never see the fourth cup during this new Passover service. It says that they sang the hymn while they went out. So it's not like it just wasn't mentioned, like the first cup wasn't mentioned. We see cups number two and three, right? It's not that the fourth one was just overlooked or it wasn't mentioned. It's intentionally omitted. They would have sang the psalm and then drank the cup because that final fourth cup concluded the Passover. But instead, they sing the psalm and go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. The meal is not over. It's extending. Why isn't it over yet? Because the lamb had not yet been sacrificed. And so Jesus, on his way to the cross, it says that they had offered him wine mixed with um, frankincense as sort of like a numbing agent. He rejects it. Why? He can't drink the fourth cup of wine yet. He hasn't been sacrificed. But in John 19, he finally does drink wine. And this is the fourth and final drinking of wine. Notice he also said, I'm not drinking of this again until the kingdom. 
Well, the kingdom has been accomplished on his, the cross through his death. Uh, it's John 19, verse 28. We read, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. And a jar of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a what branch? Hyssop branch. There's blood on the wood. And now there's a hyssop branch coming. Like this is totally Passover, all culminating. And now the fourth cup is here. So the wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's finished. The Passover lamb has been killed. He's been sacrificed. It's done. He drinks the fourth cup. And what do we do? Every Sunday that we gather, we drink. If you will, we get to participate in that fourth cup. Perhaps the fourth cup is going to be the wedding supper of the lamb. The final cup when we're all in the kingdom together. But we drink in anticipation of that cup. We drink. So in other words, so, so by Jesus dying here in the midst of the meal and then drinking the cup to end the meal, it means that when we eat the new Passover, his sacrifice is part of the meal. So he is the new lamb. We are eating the new Passover meal, which means we are... Um, when we keep it, we are participating in the new Passover. So remember, um, it wasn't just about choose the lamb, I choose Jesus. It wasn't just about kill the lamb, he died on the cross. None of these things save, saved the Jews in Egypt. The pouring of the blood spared them from the angel of death. But eating the meal is what made them part of God's people. And then keeping it kept going back to that moment of salvation. So we do the same. He gives us the Passover meal to eat. And by eating, we are participating in his death on the cross. So um, to hammer that out, maybe scripturally for us, if you want some examples, that this is indeed what we are supposed to do. Uh, Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at Galatians and just real quick. And 1 Corinthians. Galatians 5. Well, first, actually, I forgot there's two in Galatians. Galatians 2, verse 20. You guys know this one, though, because we recited it all through Lent. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. Galatians chapter 5 verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we have had our sins put to death in Christ in the cross. So is this just some sort of like hypothetical we were with them on the cross? 
No more than the Jews saw that their eating of the Passover meal was a hypothetical participation in their first deliverance. They were delivered from Egypt because they were eating in the tradition of those who were first delivered. They believed that they were participating. Paul believes, too, that we participate in the death of Christ when we eat the bread and drink the cup. So the, he puts this much clearer. We, we just see him saying we're crucified with him um, in Galatians. But in 1 Corinthians 10, that's where he says very clearly it's in communion that we participate in the cross. So 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16, it's review from last week. The cup of blessing that we bless is it's not a participation in the blood of Christ. Every time we drink the cup, his blood is applied to us. We are renewed. We are washed. We are joining with his blood. And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So we are there in his flesh being pinned to the cross. So what does all this mean? When we eat, the Passover meal was eaten. When we eat the new Passover lamb, we are participating in the cross. So like when I am trapped in the spider web, something must give to liberate me from my ultimate doom. Um, it's not a perfect illustration because Christ is no jacket. <laughs> However, it does show though, he sacrificed himself so that we could be freed from sin. So when I eat, I participate in his death so that I too die to sin. My sins are nailed and left there and I'm taken off the cross. And so I am liberated. And this is why looking at the original Passover is so important is because it was a literal releasing. There was a liberation from something very real and very deadly. They could not be the people of God as slaves in Egypt. What they needed was liberation so that God could make a relationship called a covenant with them so that God could then build a temple and be in their midst with them and so that he could then take them to a king Kingdom, to a land where they would have a, a royal dynasty and that the purpose was so that this kingdom would bring all nations to him. But Solomon fails this epically and it has to be renewed through Christ and the church. So we are taken away from the kingdom of the devil and from the slavery of sin and the death which holds us back. We are unable to live this new life, to have this relationship with God because sin weakens us and holds us back from him. We are not able to lift our heads. We want sin. This is all we know. We're slaves. But he's our Passover lamb. And if we eat and commune with him and join with him in the cross, then we are liberated. Yes, of course, it's through faith. There's absolutely no merit in just eating bread. But we recognize that he's given himself to us so that we can eat and participate, keep the new Passover. And so when we eat and drink, there is a literal cleansing. We are being freed from the hold of sin and passion on our lives. And I don't know if you believe that or not. But that there's something about Christ giving us liberation. We reenact and rejoin him in our liberation from sin. A people who eat 
the Passover feast together, are people who are looking at him who has been sacrificed so that we can walk free. We can walk in him. We gather as his temple in his covenant, the new covenant in the cup, part of his kingdom, walking through this land. Do you want to be liberated from your sins? Do you want to walk free? He offers us fresh cleansing every time we come to him. And this is why every week we have a little miniature altar call, don't we? You come and say, I, I am sorry that I ate from those tables because I want to eat from this table. Those meals from the world only stuck me in the spider web more. They entangled me in it. But this meal frees me from sin and from passion. And I can now see that Christ will strengthen me for the coming week to overcome these sins. We are given new chances every week to go and live as his people. We have a little miniature altar call and he wants us to participate with him. So uh, Christ is the cost of our liberation. It's initiated in faith. We look to him and say, you are our rescuer. But we participate in that liberation through communion. So let's amass our hearts around the throne of Christ now, praying for ourselves, for the community, for the world, sharing any encouragement that he may give us to give to each other before we come to eat our Passover meal the new Passover meal. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, both now and ever, and to ages of ages. Amen.